millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. You've had a haircut, Gav. I have had a haircut. <laughs> Thank you for noticing. I think you've agreed well. It, it approaching Easter, we're obviously getting to the end of the National Football League, so now it's Championship, championship fade, fade season. Yeah, Championship Except fade. Not championship a fade. fade. Championship fade is where GA players like get a fade haircut, which is like a zero blade on the back, and then fade up to quite. <laughs> you a need to be looking well for the laws of the championship. Like, because you might only get two outings in the championship, so it's very important you look your best. I never knew this. The, the, the Talton Cup is going to be so lit with the hairdos this year. No, no. <laughs> yeah. There you go. I tried to get a booking. It was just, yeah. No. Talk a block on top of your face. <laughs> I had all the slots already booked already. I got my hair cut yesterday. Neither of you noticed, but it's fine. I observed all it on it. Instagram. I observed it on Instagram. I I, Thanks, I observed it. You're, you're so welcome. Thank you. Hello, you're very welcome along to the very first episode of... The group, the group chat. chat. The group chat is <laughs> here. We are a group and we are chatting. <laughs> I'm it's as simple Ch- as that. Yeah, I, I'm Richard Chambers. I'm here with my fellow correspondent, Zara King. Hello. And Gavin Riley. Hello, everybody. How are you? Guys, we made it. We, we finally launched this thing. We I made know. it. Uh, <laughs> with, only, with only a small bit of pressure, which um, we should open actually by saying thank you to everyone who subscribed before we even put out an episode at all, because we were, <laughs> frankly, we were ludicrously placed in the Apple podcast. Number one. For, for a podcast. which Ireland's actually, number one. We Gavin not, Bazunu, we the podcast. Not, we had not produced a podcast. <laughs> Yeah. And we were the number one podcast. We were very excited, and I would like to say that we are those kind of people who text our own group chat, and we're like, guys, it's at number yeah. one. Which is in between texting, yeah. like, yeah, my mom in the group chat, it was very exciting. <laughs> so all, 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 all people interested yeah. were very delighted. So no pressure. Yeah. Thank you so much. But yeah, we are really, really grateful for everyone who has subscribed, and uh, we we hope we make your early subscription worth your time. Yes, yeah. we the really only way is down do. from here. <laughs> <laughs> we should be like Ashley Barty. Just we've had a really good run there now. Let's just draw a line under right and something else for their lives. Walk off into but the sunset. Unfortunately, there's so much to talk about that there we can't is. do that. How, how, how's everybody doing? How are you doing, Zara? Yeah, I'm good. Uh, busy. I've just been packing a bag actually before I came here because I'm going to Waterford tonight for the. Royal visit starting tomorrow and uh, it's in Tipperary on Friday so packing actually I hate packing do you hate packing I hate packing I've been unpacking the last minute you've packer. been unpacking I've been yeah, unpacking yeah, yeah. And, and I'll be honest I'm a little bit jet lagged so sorry if I just go completely off the kilter by the that end of the podcast that haircut though the haircut no well <laughs> the haircut gives me an illusion of freshness that it my makes mind you feel human again yeah. how are you Richard have you been busy yeah good busy busy but um, yeah good every, every day is busy these days with this all yeah there's a lot going there, on there is a lot going on uh, and I should probably explain, by the way, the reason I'm jet lagged is because I was in Washington last week uh, with the Taoiseach, who was supposed to have a whole program of events, which he did not get to fulfill. But fate intervened. Fate intervened. Uh, so we were all, and let, let's just sort of plunge straight into it. So everyone who was due to go to the White House on St. Patrick's Day was uh, required to undertake a COVID-19 test before they did so, because... To be honest, let, let's not sort of beat around the bush. The president is 79 years old and would be medically vulnerable. So they're mm. trying to keep COVID out of the White House as much as they can. So everyone, whether you're just a visitor or a media or whether you're a visiting dignitary or an official or a bureaucrat or a diplomat, um, you're all required to take a COVID test administered by the State Department the night before. And so we all lined up at a designated hotel and some State Department. Is that antigen or PCR, along. by the way? That is an antigen test. Okay. Uh, okay. And then if you fail it, you are then referred on for a subsequent PCR to check if it's actually valid or not. Yeah. Uh, which happened in a couple of instances. So there were, I think, three, two people in the whole party, including press and 
um, government people who uh, failed their antigen tests and then they were all referred on for PCRs. Uh, because somebody who was in close contact with the Taoiseach, a member of his own delegation, had tested positive on antigen, uh, then he was referred on for a positive PCR test. And all of this was announced, uh, not by way of any kind of a little minor huddle uh, where the press were all taken aside and just going, listen, just so you know. Um, it was announced on stage on the uh, by the Irish ambassador to a crowd of 700 people who, like everyone else, did not have a clue that it was coming. And it was fairly dramatic. I now would invite the Taoiseach to the stage, but I had been informed that because the Taoiseach is on call as one of the leaders in the world, he will be, the, his 2022 International Leadership Award will be given to Ambassador Daniel Mulhall, the, the ambassador from Ireland to the United States, Daniel Mulhall. Daniel. Before we left to come here, all members of the delegation were tested for COVID-19 and the test on the Taoiseach was negative um, but because a member of the wider delegation tested positive and while that test was being checked and rechecked uh, out of an abundance of caution uh, the Taoiseach was tested just as he left to come here and sadly that test has turned out to be positive. Um, Sorry, Richard's actually watched that behind his hands because he still can barely watch I that. I can't. Clip. It's yeah. so difficult. Yeah. Well, first of all, like I've, I've, I've thoughts, right? Okay. First is how polite Nancy Pelosi is yeah. in, in sort of covering for him, okay, saying he's, he's super important world yes. leader and yeah. he's on a call. It is half past eight in the evening. Yeah. It's half past midnight at home, and who knows what he has just been pulled aside for? And, and in fairness, Nancy Pelosi had been sitting beside the Taoiseach only a few minutes earlier. And she clearly didn't know, obviously, at that no, time. No, and it was know. pretty obvious after Dan Mulhall made his speech that like it's never been been explicitly stated, but. Nancy Pelosi gave the clear air of somebody who was completely taken aback by this news. And just as President Biden would be mindful of exposure, Nancy Pelosi is 82 years old this weekend. I genuinely am in, in awe of the woman and her energy and how she manages to do it. She's still jetting from California to Washington all the time. Um, and she had been sitting maskless, uh, sitting beside the Taoiseach, and there's press photographs to, to show this, um, just before uh, the T-shirt was pulled aside by his officials to say, sorry, we just need to take him aside for a minute. Mm. Um, so she was was pretty obviously scared. Where were you for this? I was at the back of the hall because the press are always put yes. up in the gods. Way, <laughs> way <laughs> in the corner. <laughs> anything. Don't make uh, trouble. So we were at the back of the room and in hindsight, there was the little hint that the two uh, Irish embassy staff who were with us at the table that we were sitting at for that event um, both just casually disappeared uh, very suddenly a few minutes beforehand but actually we didn't notice because there was um, food being served and we were just didn't spot that they were both taken away and suddenly then when that was announced you have this penny dropping you're like so hang on so so the Taoiseach has COVID that's not ideal but you you're just want to double check is what you've heard actually what you've heard and you're looking mm. around going sorry where's the lads oh the lads are gone so oh, something really must be going on. Because you tweeted it and like I still texted you at like one o'clock in the morning to be like, sorry, yeah. is this actually happening? You were like, oh my God. I know. And it wasn't that I didn't believe that was, you, but I just was so shocked. That, that, that was, I was all of our feelings that it was yeah. one of those cases. I can only think of one other example, which was when uh, Leo Varadkar came home from Washington two years ago and then he announced the first full national yes. lockdown yeah. on a Friday night um, to take effect on the Saturday morning. And that was the only other time where I've been in a room where something was announced and nobody nobody knew what was coming or no one had any kind of prior inkling. And there was this cascade of gasps yeah. where people were like, 
oh my god yeah because yeah. I remember I woke up at like 6 in the morning and I saw it and I was like oh my god so Richard is doing power hour so everyone knows that he's literally yeah, yeah, Richard yeah. Is going go, to, go to bed early, early wake up early, super early and gets up super early so yes. when I was texting and it wasn't delivering to Richard I was saying Richard is preparing for the power hour he yeah, has missed yeah. all of this and what a power hour it was yeah. but I just yeah, I, I admire your, your dedication to have power hours on a national holiday for a really long time actually well look you gotta do it you gotta do it you gotta work that day you were reading the news that day so you had places to be you were still doing your power hour you still have to you have to commit to it otherwise you're not gonna get back on getting up at five in the morning like you know but the, but the point I wanted to make like because to, to people outside and there was so much discussion about the Taoiseach's positive COVID test and yeah. obviously the shamrock ceremony is thrown up into the air mm. yeah. there was an air of chaos which I would probably have detected and people who worked in sort of the media and yes. journalism would detect yeah. it but yeah. people at home are wondering well how did it all go behind the scenes because people were asking A there was a lot of people online who were saying oh my God, he must be so upset mm. that this has happened. Obviously, yeah. this is a huge, huge deal. Mm. Uh, it's one of the good days you get to be yeah. a T-shirt. There, there, there aren't a huge number of privileges that come with the job. So getting to sit down in the Oval Office once a year is pretty much the Definitely. only Amazing, one. especially because yeah. it's his only chance to do it, really. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, so A, was he really upset by this? Mm. Uh, and B, what was it like behind the scenes as everything crumbles and all of the plans for those? These things are so yeah. like super mm. planned. As yeah. they all tumble down, how sort of tumble yeah. chaos yeah, so, well, it, sort it's of fairly chaotic and, and the one thing just worth saying is a prelude to that when you say how much work goes into it uh, it is worth stressing that you know people have this idea that the White House invitation just comes automatically every year that it's this standing thing that you basically just show like up the TV license like. and, and, that, and that they fully expect it to show up but if it didn't come would it not just be considered well, a snub it, it would but that is the point that the well, Irish Embassy anyway. the Irish I mean Embassy like I feel like you, turn up. you would just <laughs> like, anyway. you, you can't go to the White House without being invited to of go course, so like the Embassy does have to go angling and fishing every January and February and just go, no, you wouldn't you wouldn't want to be the president who'd break that routine now, would you? But like they do have to like push the boat. It isn't just a matter of rote. They do have to to press it. And every time there's a new president, you have to go and make the case again because you don't want to be the new president that then changes the routine that you lose forever. You also don't want to be the only Taoiseach who never got to do it as well. Well, and he may yet get a chance because there's talk that he might go back having missed two opportunities already that he might be invited back some other time before he hands over to Leo Varadkar in December. Um, so A, was he disappointed? Um, he took a Zoom press conference that evening and Mio Martin would never be one to, to wear his heart in his sleeve too much about personal ambitions and he wouldn't get too mm. invested He's in quite private about all of that. Stuff. He's quite private yeah. about all of that. But he did admit in that, in a fairly nonchalant way, he did admit to being disappointed. So I suspect if he admitted to it in that kind of a, a reserved sort of yeah. a way, it spoke that volumes. privately he was actually gutted. Um, and then what happens, the chaos of all of that, it, it com- everything just completely goes to pot because then you have all of the embassy staff who are all first of all they're all running away trying to answer our questions because it wasn't clear in the clip that you just heard and saw it wasn't clear whether this was another PCR test or was it another antigen what's going on does he have symptoms what is happening by the by when all of this is happening um, it is announced from the stage the Taoiseach has COVID the Taoiseach is in the gents toilets in the National Building Museum oh in Washington DC being told he has COVID and people after the speech Want to go he's to the in the toilet. dense toilets being like isolated from everyone or, or, or I guess that's where he was brought aside because it was the most discreet place to be told that oh, he's got right. COVID okay. and, that, probably, and that the date fair. isn't going to happen but was it like um, a murmur in the room was it like one of those father, the, the father Ted announcement thing like yeah we're like, like oh, Fargo yeah, Boyle yeah. and everyone's just muttering going oh my god I yeah. mean it's the twist that you weren't expecting oh, so did that mean totally. that you and all the journalists didn't get to go to the White House the next day either Correct. yeah were you quite uh, disappointed I was less disappointed because uh, full, like, you know, media, white privilege. I've, I've been a couple of times before. Oh, right, uh, so okay. th- this would have been my fifth time covering a T-shirt trip. So I've been in before and I, sort of, I know the general lay of the land. It's always a great place to be. Okay. But I was less gutted because 
I, I, I've been before. there and done that. There okay. were a few members of the press corps who, in fairness, were, were really First looking timers. forward to the opportunity to get inside and I was disappointed for them. Um, what does the embassy do? Um, the embassy basically then has to go away and completely negotiate with their own, with their White House counterparts, who by and large are going to bed. Like the use broke at half past eight and a lot of them aren't still at work at that time. And they have to work through the night with the protocol people and everyone else to figure out how much of the events can you actually salvage? Like firstly, was it even possible if the teacher was now being isolated for COVID, was it even possible to get video conferencing kit to him? Because mm. he was going to be staying in Blair House across the road from the White House, which is the official guest house. One of the other privileges you get when you're travelling is that they put you in the guest house across the street from the White House. And that's where Leo Varadkar announced the closure of the schools two mm. years ago was from there. So you have to figure out, first of all, can you even get the video kit in there? And then secondly... Does the meeting still happen in the format that it did? If so, then will there still be Irish press that go into the room the same as the American press would? Are there stills photographers? Are there moving picture cameras? All of those things. Separately, does the lunch on, on Capitol Hill still happen? Because the Friends of Ireland lunch, it was always sort of unclear whether it was thrown in the honour of the Taoiseach. And if the Taoiseach isn't there, does the event still happen? As it turns out, it did happen, but that was up in the air for a while and then did the media go to that as well? And then the Shamrock reception, because if you remember last year when it all happened over video call, there was obviously uh, the the bowl of shamrock was pre-presented and Joe Biden was sitting beside it and there it was. In in the usual course of events, there are two events in the White House. There's the meeting earlier in the day and then there's a reception later in the day at which you've come back and at that point you present the shamrock. So then this question, does that reception go ahead, that party for 300 odd people? God, it was a total mess, like, wasn't do, it? Does that happen oh because the shamrock may already have been presented <laughs> at that point and you had staff working through the night and we were all then in regular contact with the teachers travelling press team trying to figure out when do all the all those things happen and it was only up until an hour before some of the events that we had any rough idea as to what the sort of outlook of the day was going to be like it was months of diplomacy just completely upended by a chance result in a PCR test and a sharp reminder that COVID has not gone away yeah. it has not gone away so, as we've been seeing yeah, yeah so the Taoiseach is on its way then to Brussels then for the Yes, EU council so meeting. The, Europe, the the CDC rules in the US require somebody who has tested, sorry, rules. The, the advice is that you're supposed to isolate for five days, Yes, uh, which the Taoiseach did. So he stayed for two nights in Blair House and then he served the remainder of his isolation in the home of the Irish ambassador, which I guess is convenient because it means you don't have to pay for a hotel room. And also Danmal Hall's house. Nice house, is it? Danmal Hall's house has nine bedrooms and eight bathrooms. It is in the middle of yeah, Embassy Yeah, but was he Road. allowed to leave the bedroom though? He's probably well, isolating. Well, that's a good question because we actually, we don't know whether he was displaying symptoms or whether he had to stay in a okay. bedroom for the entire time. That much we've never been able to figure out. Yeah. Um, but either way, obviously he's tested negative twice and he's going to be on his way to Brussels for the summit which is taking place today by the time you hear this. Uh, Joe Biden will also be there so maybe he'll get some, some FaceTime with him after all. Um, but he is actually travelling in breach of the CDC advice. This is why I ask. The, yeah. the advice is that you are supposed to remain isolated for at least five days until you've started testing negative and your symptoms are gone. But you're still not supposed to take public transport of any sort or be in any kind of a congregated transit setting yeah. for another five days after that. So in theory, at least, the, if the Taoiseach was honouring that American advice, he wouldn't be travelling home until this coming weekend. Now, the government's stance is that this is only advice. It's guidelines. It's not regulation. It's not demanded by law which is true but that's also true for all of the Irish advice that we've had for right. the last mm -hmm. two years that it has yeah. never been the law that if you have COVID you have to stay at home or stay in your bedroom that, that's never been a binding thing it has always just been advice so the advice is being casually overlooked uh, they would probably say it's for the public good or for the national interest because nobody else is allowed to fill in for me, Hall Martin, at these summons in Brussels. You can't send a junior minister, you can't send a Taunashta. If, if he is not there, there is no Irish person present. Right. So they would probably argue that, look, if he's negative and they know that he's safe, 
it is in his interest and the national interest that he go, but it is in breach of, of the official American advice. What a week. What, what a week. week. What a week. <laughs> but COVID here, as, as you mentioned, is, is, is rearing its head again. The government is saying that there's no, no plans to even discuss the idea of going back to restrictions. But what we've seen really over the last number of weeks is a surge in cases. You're seeing, uh, you know, tens of thousands of people on any given day sometimes mm. testing mm. positive. Yeah. 23,000 really earlier. Yeah, 23,000 earlier. And, week, and that's almost Sarah? certainly yeah. underreported as well. Well, yeah, I mean, people are uploading their own antigen test results and everything, but there was 23,000, was it on Tuesday? It was 23,000 yeah. in mm-hmm. one day and uh, it's enormous. I mean, we knew we had 20,000 back in January. They were all PCR tests. That was at a time we didn't really know the quantity of people who mm-hmm. were getting back their positive antigens at home because they weren't uploading them. But um, it's BA2. It's this it's this strain of Omicron that seems mm-hmm. to be the big So factor. explain to people then the new strain or, or what's kind of different about it and is it possible that you could actually get sick from, from the two strains? Yeah, yeah it is. So like we're seeing examples of that where people who might have had COVID back in January or whatever are now getting sick again. Um, it's just a far more transmissible strain of this particular variant. It's not that it's more virulent in a sense. It's not that it's more, you're not going to get sicker from it per se. As in, I don't think that the concerns around all of this from any of the experts is disease severity, but mm. it is about volume because you have to remember that people who get COVID and they go into hospital, even if it's for a secondary reason, you're still going to be taking yeah. up a lot of space in a sense that you're being treated in isolation. So it's a lot of resources. You can pass it on to the staff as well. Isn't it? Yeah, That's it's huge. huge it's huge. Um, and a lot of people who've been sick over the last couple of weeks, I just actually put a thing on Instagram today just to ask people kind of how they were coping with it. I want to take a look at some of the responses we got because I suppose sometimes we're hearing that people are having a mild dose of it but not everyone is having that experience and some people are actually finding that they've been quite sick with it. So some of the replies um included someone saying look very mild had a head cold boosted and it worked another person said tired dry cough I had it last mm. week um, a lot of people are saying tiredness tiredness, tiredness is the one that wins you had it a couple of weeks ago yeah I had yeah. it three weeks ago and yeah. it was kind of yeah kind of what everybody's sort of saying there that sort of there was a cough uh, initially then it was really tiredness and that sort of stuck around even after I started to test negative again. Mm. Taste and smell was another one which I had, which apparently had, it's interesting because you, you sort of hear, it's, it's very anecdotal, but you hear different strains or different uh, variations of yeah. it will have different, like different prominence. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, that was a problem yeah. for me then for a while yeah. after. But it is, it sort of tallies with what you're sort of hearing there. Yeah, Emma says horrendous, couldn't get out of bed for days and had really bad pains in the chest. Uh, this She got it in January, she said. Um, day seven today, sore throat at the start, then a heavy cold and a little cough, but no temperatures, no pains. It just seems to be different in everyone. Mm-hmm. Someone saying tough, took me out very much like a bad flu. Took two to three weeks to recover fully for me. Um, bad headache, sore tongue and sore legs. So I know, yeah, that's a, that's one I haven't heard before, actually. Yeah. But I mean, again, like a really kind of um, mixed response. So that's the point, I suppose, is that none of us really know how it's going to behave mm. until you actually get it. But it's the masks as well. It's an interesting point. The INMO calling this week for um, a temporary return of the mask yeah. mandate, wanting to kind of, just so we get over this current wave, yeah. they're basically saying, let's go back to a mask mandate. So I put again a poll up on Instagram today about that in terms of whether people were wearing their masks or not. Um, 68%, no, sorry, 60% saying that they're still wearing their masks all the time, uh, 23% saying sometimes and 17% saying not at all. Um, I was surprised by that response, it's actually. actually. It's, it's surprising. Yeah. It kind of seems that your followers are maybe slightly more adherent to mask wearing than the general public is. Because yeah. you know, well, there are people who are interested in the news. When, when I was getting my yeah. championship yeah. haircut, I was yeah. the only person in the hairdressers wearing a mask. No, and I feel like I'm often the only person wearing a mask in a lot of places I go as well. So I don't really know. But um, I, it's, it's interesting, though, because it, like... The WHO, um, David Navarro, who's been a prominent sort of spokesperson mm. for the World, World Health Organization, who comes and speaks to the Irish media, he sort of said that there was, um, it makes sense to wear a mask in crowded settings, uh, practice physical distancing, all of that sort of stuff. But also the WHO saying that Ireland lifted restrictions 
uh, brutally that there wasn't really and I suppose now when you're having this conversation that we're having around well what do we do now now that there's mm. a concern at a government level or there's a concern at a public level as well about the way things are going when you're having this level of infections you're mm. seeing people uh, translating into hospital or you're seeing numbers of people with COVID in hospital mm. when you're getting to that and you don't seem to have a backup plan yeah. or like because you're now getting people questioning it's like well where is it well Neffet's gone Mm. Do we have a new Netflix? Like, which, which, which is a genuine question, which was asked of Leo Varadkar on, on Wednesday. <laughs> and he was asked about, you know, Neffet 2, Electric Boogaloo, this, the, again, this, the sequel that nobody wants. Um, but he said that there is there will imminently be some new sort of, not necessarily public advice group, but just some sort of surveillance group set based up to around keep, keep the a closer CMO, eye on these things. Yeah. Largely based around uh, the CMO. So as it stands right now, with Neffet gone and Neffet Nua, not yet in situ. It basically falls to Tony Hulan acting solo to recommend any restrictions if there are any. He's got a very silent presence for the last month or so, uh, yeah. but there is no no sign, even if he was minded to do something, there's little, very little sign of the government wanting to accept it. And it is worth bearing in mind as well that the uh, the laws which allow the government to issue emergency powers, like the law requiring you to wear masks or the, the law that never happened to require you to stay at home if you're positive, that law expires next week. And unless the Dáil and the Shannon vote to renew it, then that's it, that's gone. The government actually has no more emergency powers. If they wanted to enforce a mask mandate or anything else, they'd have to go back to the Dáil and Shannon and pass a brand new law to do it. And this far into the pandemic with cases broadly mild, uh, with large numbers in hospital, but with only about half of them actually being treated for COVID uh, per se, I don't see much of an appetite for them to, to go back to that because it, it would basically be square one as far yeah, as Yeah, just to take some of the responses about mask wearing just that we got from, from listeners. Uh, Claire says, yes, I think we all still need to be wearing masks and be responsible and take care of ourselves individually. Sally says, I had stopped wearing one, but wearing it since last week. Uh, Emma says, I stopped immediately, got COVID, so I will be wearing them again. Mm-hmm. Um, Geraldine says, I'd prefer to keep wearing them, but uh, with my glasses, I do like the option to take them off if needed, which I do understand that as well. As someone saying, I feel masks help to protect others and it's respectful in busy settings someone else says starting to wear it more now um and then uh, Michael says, wearing a mask and going to the shop, etc. I'm diligent, still using hand sanitizer a lot. So I think it's a really personal choice for mm. people. Um, it's funny, I, I still personally feel like the hand sanitizing is something I just, I'm obsessed with. I think I was kind of like that before well, COVID that's, anyway. That's the thing but, that you do for, for two years. It's a very yeah. difficult habit to kick. I mean, even to the point where I'm not like ideologically wedded to masks, but because I stayed in the habit of wearing them, because I also needed to pass a COVID test to get to go to Washington in the <laughs> yeah. first place. And I was petrified of failing the test. So I kept wearing it to try and make sure that I was okay for that you come home then afterwards and you just it's the habit that you're in that it would nearly feel like it would be a gesture to pointedly get out of your car and not bring a mask with you. Just it's still the habit. Well, I remember when I was in Sweden actually last October saying that to you when I came back to remember that like nobody had masks mm. on and it was so weird. I remember my cousin who lives in Stockholm saying to me like almost like an intervention, are you okay? Like because mm. I had the mm. mask on all the time yeah. and he's kind of going like, are you all right? And I was like, yeah, we wear masks all the time at home. Yeah. And he thought it was insane that we were wearing masks all so the time. So interesting that different, different yeah. regions of the world have different sort of perspectives on it. Like that's yeah. the Scandinavian model. Yeah. And like, like he's inter- trying to have an intervention with me. Yeah, like, yeah, he's like, okay? Are you okay? Yeah. But it's interesting because, uh, like, if you take Scandinavia, for example, like the best, obviously people are worried about this particular wave and it is a wave yeah. really of BA2 COVID. Um, but people are pointing to Denmark 
And debt markets is really interesting because there's been so many times during the pandemic where you ask health experts, well, what's mm. going to happen next? And they're like, well, Denmark knows what's going to happen next. Mm. Yeah. It's, it's, like, it's just so fascinating. They just have the most tooled up like and genetic they, sequencing and all that sort of stuff. They are literally ahead of the curve yes. in this instance. So yeah. basically they've seen the same sort of thing happen here in terms of the big surge in new infections and then hospitalizations, And then it turned around very quickly, which is actually kind of in fairness what happened with the Omicron wave mm. around that it, it sort Christmas of burned, It sort of burns itself out because there's only so many people that it could actually infect effectively. Yeah. yeah. So that's, I suppose, that's the thing to, to take a look at. Um, obviously, there will be people though, because when you have uh, such a huge amount of people becoming sick with COVID-19, mm. there will be people who will become very sick with COVID-19. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that um, when you just look at things in terms of a time, if you're just saying, well, this wave wasn't bad because it lasted for a very short period of time, I yeah. think you're kind of missing the point. And I think that's something which always needs to be borne in mind when you're talking about COVID-19 or any illness or any story you're talking about in the news. Mm. There's always people at the end of it. And I just think that that's something that we probably need to reflect on time and time again. Yeah. And that obviously we're all affected by COVID and restrictions and all that sort of stuff. But people are always at the end of it. So like, I mean, obviously everybody wants these things to go away quickly, but there will yeah. be people who will. And particularly, I think in the week where we're remembering people who died from COVID as exactly. well, I think it's important to acknowledge that because um, I do feel sometimes, and you and I, all of us have kind of spoken to a lot of families who lost loved ones to COVID. And I think sometimes it can just get a little bit lost when people are so eager to get back to yeah. normal life that yeah. actually there are a lot of families who probably will never feel like life is normal again because mm. the people they lost are, are gone forever. I, I definitely think the public especially about two months ago when we were in the teeth of Omicron and then we were beginning to come out of it again, it was very obvious that people had split into two camps. There were those who saw COVID as being a health concern that, you know, if you get infected, you could have long COVID symptoms afterwards, your life could be irreparably damaged one way or another. And then there were others who, who only saw COVID as a threat to their civil liberties because if cases were too high that you'd have to wear a mask or you might not be able to go to certain settings or you might not be able to have certain gatherings. And that was the way through which they saw it. And, and both are valid, but I think you can't be blind and reporting shouldn't be blind to the fact that even if there are 23,000 people and even if a smaller fraction now get sick of those, yeah. that's still a large number of people in hospital. And even if they are not being treated for COVID, there are, as you said earlier, knock-on consequences for everyone else. There were 225 COVID admissions uh, on the Wednesday that we were recording this, which is the highest one day total Mm. at any time in the pandemic. Most of them, thankfully, are being treated for something other than COVID, but it's a big administrative burden at the top of anything else. It is for the frontliners. I mean, it's Mm. it's no joke. I wouldn't want to be in their shoes right now. Well, we'll keep an eye on it as it progresses. Hopefully um, it is something which, you know, fingers crossed, it doesn't turn into something worse than than it currently is. a lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Um. Today, I mean, the podcast is out. This is Thursday when the podcast is released, uh, the 24th of March. It is now a month to the day uh, since the war in Ukraine Gosh, started, uh, since Russia invaded Ukraine. Uh, I think you're starting to see some of the impact and sort of the, the, the trajectory of what the impact will be like 
here, and I'm, I'm sure we're going to talk about Ukraine a lot over the next coming weeks and, and perhaps months, mm. if not even longer, in, in some context or other. But the impact and what it's going to ha- mean here, the ESRI today was out talking about this. You had people from the fuel and motoring industry talking about fuel prices. And mm. again, it's something that we even talked about sort of casually beforehand. We were sort of saying, well, how bad can this get? Mm. And I remember you, Zara, were asking, well, what, what, is it going to be a stage where we're going to have energy rationing? Mm. And then that's something which like forecasters mm. are actually it's talking about. It's not being about. ruled out yeah. at all. Yeah. yeah. And the Americans, when I was over there as well, even the, the the concern was slightly less about the humanitarian aspect because they're not on Ukraine's doorstep and they're not quite as uh, worried about the, the administrative challenges of taking on so many people. They were all petrified about the price of gasoline going up because for, for them, $5 a gallon is the equivalent to our two euro per litre where they were all completely losing their heads over how expensive it was going to be to drive around. So that there are universal effects to all of this and cost of living increases all over the world. Definitely. And just in terms of that fallout and that response from Ireland, just to say as well, the Red Cross are due to house the first people into the pledged housing there next week. So um, at the moment, it's 20,000 houses have been pledged, 4,000 of those are vacant properties. So they're working through those first. Um, they've got a call centre with around 20 Defence Forces members who are calling the mm. owners of those properties and checking with them to see, first of all, if they're still on for doing this, which mm. will be for six to 12 months. And then also, then they send valuers out to have a look at the property to make sure then that it's suitable, that it has furniture, etc, etc. So mm. I think they're hoping that at least 50% of those, so 2,000 of those will be suitable. And at the moment, the list in terms of people who've come from Ukraine who want to be housed is around 4,500. Mm. So, yeah. It, it's yeah. interesting just the process on the Red Cross thing, because a lot of people were, and I'm sure it's the same for you guys as well, people are saying, well, I signed up for this. When, when do I get to Yeah, they're keen to know mm. about it. Yeah, yeah. And like some people have sort of gone elsewhere. There's other sort of NGOs who are doing their own thing as well. And it's just individuals, you know, yeah. and, and this is the biggest thing. Food, yeah. Like the, yeah. the, the biggest thing which has happened so far is really people from Ukraine who have already been living here or people from Poland who are already living mm. here who know people from who Ukraine. Who have connections. Yeah. It's the Central and Eastern European pe- people who are already based here are sort of just opening their homes and just that's mm. the sort of way that it's working. So mm. um, that's something which I'm, I, I, it's something I was chatting to a Polish group uh, together, Chasm in Cork, who are basically doing a huge, it's an unbelievable thing to see. They're doing basically a whole integrated thing where they'll have like the Polish kids who are already living here will welcome your Ukrainian oh. friends, people who are arriving here. And it's basically, it's just incredible. There's incredible so stuff which is happening at a sort yeah. of a lower level, um, sort of on the ground level, if you want yeah. to put it that way, um, to sort of try and get around this. And no, I think... Definitely. And I think it's in- really impressive to see that response, actually. And I think... You it's know, amazing, yeah. People like oh, Angie Gott, who's a woman I interviewed last week and her husband, they live over in Ranla. She just literally got totally involved in it. And like all her neighbours are involved and they've housed up to 100 people now as they're coming through. And they're sort of doing a temporary housing situation while people wait for the Red Cross to come through and they're in constant contact with the Red Cross. So the people that they're housing for the moment are all on the Red Cross list, but they just know that they could be waiting a little while. And just to say to anyone who has pledged and maybe like a spare room in a house share setting, the reason you're not hearing from their across is because they are still working through those vacant properties first. It's going to take, a, it's time, going to take a little while. And also to remember as well that it's going to be guard the vetting involved in that if you're going to have people coming in and sharing your home. Yeah. But so, also, so if you're bringing in children, which which yeah. is going to be a lot of cases. It yeah. is, but they've moved to kind of escalate that as well. And it's going to be done within a seven day period as well when that eventually comes around. But I think that's okay. going to be a couple of weeks away, to be honest. When you were telling us as well a, a couple of weeks ago when you'd come back from reporting on the Polish border that the, the first wave of refugees tended to be those who maybe were slightly better equipped or yeah. better uh, resourced or, or even better educated who had leads across the rest of Europe wanted to go talk to them. They maybe had a better command of another language. And so they, they would be able to navigate the whole mess with a little bit more ease. But then as time goes on, 
it'll be people who were reluctant to leave, who don't have a support network, who don't necessarily have another language. Yeah, and, and it was more about the connections, really. Yeah, mm-hmm. totally. It was more so about connections in general, just that anyone who kind of had connections or had someone to go and stay with, basically they left and they went to stay with them. Mm. Um, and actually, sorry, speaking of that, actually one of the little girls that we met while we were on the Ukrainian board, I didn't even tell both of you this, um, Mila, she was featured in some of our reports. Um, she messaged me on Instagram, actually. She found me on Instagram and messaged me the other day to say that uh, she's staying now with friends of her family in the Czech Republic and she's hoping that eventually she will get home. But That's lovely. But, she's, but she was like, I really miss home. And I was like, oh, Mila, you know, we're yeah. thinking of you. But so she's a gorgeous, gorgeous girl. Um, but look nice that she has someone to stay with, but just ultimately like most Ukrainians really keen to just yeah. get home. And, and it's an extraordinary number. And like, and this this will be the thing that we'll end up coming back to in the coming weeks, the sheer volume of people that are, are going to need accommodation elsewhere in Europe. And I've seen some people somewhat cynically suggesting that Ireland is trying to act the European big ladder that it's looking for international plaudits by committing to potentially taking as many as 200,000. You know, we can never really know what's in the government's mind when it commits to that. But every other EU country is going to have to take a phenomenal number of people because of just the sheer volumes that are displaced in the country and who have to be expected to leave. Like there's, at the time we're recording this, is in a region of 3.6 or 3.7 million people mm. have managed to leave the country altogether, but there are 6 million more displaced internally. Mm. And that's before the battle really truly sets in in some places like Odessa, where people may have been holding steady and who will now want to leave. There's an enormous number of people and women and children who could be followed by their husbands and fathers who may, may need to come afterwards if the battle doesn't go their way. So it's an enormous thing. And like even at this at the time we're recording this, there's already over 10,000 people who've come to the country who need some sort of support network. That That's the equivalent of the number of people who were homeless in this country at the peak of the crisis a couple of years ago, just before COVID set in. And they've all come in the space of a month, literally a month. Mm. And we may have 10 or 15 or 20 times more than that to come in the next few months. It's going to be an enormous administrative challenge. Yeah, and do get in touch with us if you have your own, own stories of this because there's so much happening across the country and communities, like you're seeing schools open. Like that's something which I was I took, was taken aback by myself when I was out reporting with one family who had arrived um, at an Educate Together school uh, in West Dublin and they were just mm. literally the day after they arrived, they're straight into the classroom. Yeah. I just think yeah, that's absolutely great. just It's great for people to show such initiative because classrooms are in Ireland are not generally yeah. spacious places with lots of spare seating. So it's, it's amazing that they can just flip a switch and accommodate people like that. Although one 12-year-old girl who came from Ukraine, Maria, who I interviewed was uh, two days into school and they were already asking her to take Irish lessons, which I think, in fairness <laughs> to her, was probably a bit of a bridge too far. Her command of I the mean, team, she'll get it all. Nice, nice to be welcomed, but God love her. Yeah. I mean, it must have been a bit of a On, on the song. subject of welcomes then, uh, royal visit uh, underway uh, in Ireland at this point. Um, Britain's Prince Charles and um, Camilla uh, to go with the informal title, now on their sixth <laughs> visit to Ireland since they began. Yeah, they're always here. They're sixth, never home. Sixth visit. But, um, they you're, love you're, the place. You're covering this uh, for us, Lara. Yeah. Uh, tell us, first of all, what is the, what's, what's the game plan on this? For the next couple well, of days. so they're going to Waterford today and then tomorrow it's going to be Tipperary and uh, I suppose the whole premise of it is to meet some community groups. They're going to be meeting some frontline workers. They're going to be, uh, you know, Prince Charles is quite into sustainability and the environment and stuff. So he's mm. meeting a couple of farmers. Famously, who are, yeah. He is famously quite interested <laughs> in that, actually. So um, he's going to be meeting some farmers who are quite involved in Ireland reaching, reaching our climate goals. And, you know, look, ultimately, I get the impression that they quite just like it here and they keep yeah. coming back here sort of on a working holiday. They want it. Year after year. Year. If you're going back six well, times, actually, you want the British, 
the British ambassador to Ireland told me yesterday that once they do Waterford anti prayer they're sort of halfway through the counties. So they're hoping to do all of them eventually. Are they going to be made to like try their hands at hurling again? Because it no, it's not the on the agenda. Time. No, the hurling's not on the agenda. <laughs> they've already got a DJ. Like it's not there. Oh yeah, well like so I have the agenda. They will be given We're not I'm actually not allowed to tell people where they're going to they go there actually for security reasons. But um no, no, there's no hurling on it. There's another sporting yeah. thing, but not hurling. Okay, yeah. well, there you go. A little tidbit there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, generally, like we've had a few of these as, as we've seen, seen so far. And I mean, it is worth mentioning at this point that there is a situation where there is another royal visit happening yeah. elsewhere yeah. in the world, in the Caribbean, uh, particularly in Jamaica, where um, the future King of England, uh, Prince William and uh, Kate Middleton are there. And there's a huge groundswell of uh, protests, really, about the history of the royal family, mm-hmm. what it means in terms of colonialism. Uh, people now, and political parties there on, on a big level, also pushing for reparations, effectively, from Britain for yeah. the history of slavery, uh, which the royal family was obviously involved in going back to answer here. So it's an interesting mm-hmm. one. Uh, we don't really have a huge amount of time to talk about it. I'm yeah. sure it'll be interesting but to see like, how this one plays you, out you after wonder, the visit. I wonder how have a lot of those, th- that sort of groundswell, if there was to be one in Ireland, did it kind of exhaust itself with the visit mm. of the Queen? Because uh, that was the big one. Uh, in terms like, of protest, that was, that was 2011. Like yeah. it was, it got 11 years ago. It doesn't matter mm-hmm. how, how time has flown by. But at that point, yeah, there was a lot of, of security disruption because of threats that since. And since then, we've had, this will be the sixth visit of Charles and Camilla. Harry and Meghan were here. Uh, William and, and Kate were here. Like, they were here two years ago. Were you they, the they, co- they passed by my front row two Yeah, years no, I was ago, on all of those actually and I did the royal wedding that time as well. I've done a lot of the royal stuff. Um, yeah, what I would say about the Harry and Meghan thing at the time was there was massive interest because they had just gotten married at it was that a big time. Thing, so yeah. it was really big at the time. And and even I think with Kate and William, because it was their first visit to Ireland at the time, that was quite big. Mm. I just don't know if, like, I think, you know, people will be fine or whatever, but I just don't know if there'll be a massive It'd be interesting what the crowds are like over the next couple yeah. of days, to be honest. Because um, when Kate and William went to Galway, there was quite a big crowd there. You know, likewise, Harry and Meghan, I mean, the streets, it was quite busy, mm. the Harry and Meghan stuff at the time. And that was but central Dublin, too. Wasn't it was. Yeah. Like, I, I do wonder, as you said, because. Charles and Camilla come quite regularly that you know is a kind of they're here all the time so there's almost um, like there's a lot of other stuff happening in the world there is really yeah I just don't I think it'll be I think you know whether or not people will turn out will be interesting I think to see over the next Mm. couple of days I did did their first one um, Charles and Camilla when they first came over where was that? Um, it was in the West. It was Galway. Galway Sligo. So obviously he went um, to, oh, to Mullamore. Mullamore, Mullamore okay. yeah. Which is obviously very profound based on, that's obviously where uh, Lord Mountbatten was killed. Mm. So he went to sort of basically a pilgrimage there. Um, and I just find, I find the way that dignitary, and you're sort of talking about it with Washington as well, the way that sort of these official visits and dignitary visits mm. are organised is always very funny. Um, just, I just find some of it like, for people who don't know, like there's a lot of, a lot of times you won't be able to do everything on the tour. Like you, if you're, so Zara, I'm sure you're aware of this. Oh yeah, like, no, you have yeah, to pick different streets. Yeah. You'll be like, you have option A. Which I just is, did it yesterday. Yeah, we yeah. have to pick option A, yeah. B, or C. So basically, you you'll them, go yeah. to parts of it. You'll go yeah. to maybe the first gig of the day or their first visit. Say they're calling into a school. Yeah. You'll go to yeah. that, and you'll go to one in the afternoon mm. after they've done something else. The, and you're bust around yeah. on these. But the idea being that obviously the media has to be there before the royals arrive, so it's yeah. not possible to cover everything that they do. So you have to pick and choose which events of the tour that you're going to be able so to. So it's very carefully stage managed. I remember my my big responsibility. Uh, was so it got cut off into pools. So pooling again is like so. Say there's obviously a big gang of hyenas who are the press corps, mm. and that's cameras and it's mm. reporters and all that sort of stuff. And hyenas, all, what a lovely metaphor. Well, like that's what it's like. We're just ravenous yeah. for, for news. It's like, it's like being a, you get given a packed lunch, by the way, from the press center. You it's get like, a packed lunch for this one. You get, you get a packed lunch for all these things. Well, they be like a Capri Sun and the Baby Bell. 
honestly, that actually, I did get a Capri Sun on one of them one time. That's a true story. But uh, it's amazing. I don't think he's going to You do get a packed lunch on royal visits when you're in the media. They give you, because you're not going to get feds. They give you a little lunch. You need to, yeah. That's true. When you're getting on days. the bus, they give you a bag with a sandwich in it and a Capri Sun. And yeah, you do. Real glorious. But yeah. I, I was, so yeah, I, I remember, so he was doing, Charles Camilla were doing a dinner at a castle somewhere in Galway mm. um, yeah. with uh, President Higgins yes. and Sabina. Sorry, pooling, by the way, pooling, is where, that's where the there, are, there are too many members of the media to attend physically, so you have to basically find representatives of the media who then will go back you'll and report. You'll pick one who'll do yeah. like the print bit yes. or the, the written yeah. bit and one who'll do one, like photos and or one camera. TV. camera. Yeah. And, he, and you share the material with everyone else. Yeah, so I exactly. was doing the written bit for this one, which was, again... When you were working in radio, yeah, yeah, you got I had to do it. To so do basically, it was, it was a big banquet they were doing. So like they handed out a little menu card and all that sort of stuff and I was like, oh, this is good stuff. Doing the pool is a lot of pressure. A lot of pressure. This is what I'm getting to. I basically ended up in this tiny little sitting room with Charles, Camilla the president, Sabina Higgins, and I'm just there looking at them and like we're being hurried out by like the Department of Foreign Affairs who are yeah. running the thing and the British Embassy are like, right, that's enough. And I'm just there standing like basically the distance between you and me, Gavin, about six feet away from Prince Charles. And I was just like, what do I do? I need to do journalism. So I took out my phone and I just went, click. <laughs> and I just got like, so the first was, was there like, no snapper there? There was a snapper, but it was like kind of just like, just do mm. do whatever you can in the yeah. two minutes you're here. So like, I just took really all like, the photos. How do you as efficiently as possible take notes of the event? Well, you take a photograph of the menu. Yeah, Easy. exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Photograph of the menu and just awkward photos of Charles while he looks at you and sort of grumbles. <laughs> so yeah. it's like, are you, are you done here yet? But the pool copy is always like you're just trying to overhear what everyone's talking about yeah. at that thing. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, you're, yeah. over, you're over writing stuff. Like, ah, you are. You yeah. are milking it. You're totally overplaying like, it. Everybody's yeah. going to depend That's on this really copies. important copy. So I'm just going to put everything in there. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so yeah, what, did you have any highlights from visits um, previous? From Royal Visits. Or any, it doesn't necessarily have to be a Royal Visit. It could be any sort of... Any sort of state visit. Well, we covered a few loads of them. I suppose Donald Trump was obviously here that time. Uh, I remember the, the White House pool reporting that all of the hills around Dunebeg were emerald green. Oh, which no I found way. a bit twee. That's, that's again, yeah. it, was, it, was, it was accurate, but it was twee. But, yeah. it, but it is the pool thing where you're trying to insert as much actual, in this case, literal colour as you possibly yeah. can. I think that like the most, like, like I say, the most kind of, the Harry and Meghan visit in fairness at the time, because then they only ended up really working for a year in royal service at the time. So mm. was it a year they did? 12 months in the end, was it? Thereabouts, I think. Yeah. limited run, yeah. I mean, it was a limited run, so I suppose like, it was a <laughs> yeah. limited edition, I suppose, for looking back on it now. Yeah. Like, I mean, I covered their wedding a few weeks before that so it was kind of interesting they had like a garden party at the British Ambassador's residence which was kind of attended by you know like the Bryner Driscoll the yeah. of the world yeah. and it was kind of yeah right. Vicky Phelan was there that day as well actually yeah. Vicky was at that um, so I mean maybe that was kind of you know a bit fancy or whatever but I mean look ultimately I suppose mm. um, you know these events and these these visits are always about sort of you know solidifying the relationships between Ireland and Britain and yeah. uh, that, that's certainly what we'll be hearing a lot of over the next couple of but, days and they are certainly more chaotic than they would seem if you just looked at all as a very polished oh. photographs and footage uh, very chaotic, very sweaty well, coverage. Just in the yeah, middle a lot of Capri Suns. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, the time that I was on something comparable to that was actually the last time that Joe Biden was in Ireland. Uh, he visited oh, yeah. uh, Mayo as vice president in 2016. So his tenure was sort of about to, to run out, but he always wanted to make the, the family trip to Mayo. So he did a tour of various Mayo towns and then went walkabout in Ballina. And the only reason I remember it... The, very distinctly is because the journalists who were covering it were in a kind of a secret service bubble basically where you had gone through airport scanning uh, somewhere else previously. No, I have to bring my passport tomorrow. Yeah, well, I you, you, you my were, passport basically you were escorted everywhere by, by their local security people 
And I remember us being in a Secret Service bubble walking down the main street in Ballina while Joe Biden left the bubble and went and shook hands and literally kissed every Tom, Dick and Geraldine um, on the side of the road. <laughs> Very hard to be a Secret Service man. And, and like, yeah. we were like, can, sorry, can we have any proximity or any access so we can even overhear what is being said? And the Secret Service were like, no, we need to keep you away from the principals here. Um, or we need to keep you away from Celtic because that's his Secret Service code name, which, oh. is, which is a sign of why St. Patrick's Day is such a big deal for him. Yeah. Um, oh. But uh, so the, everyone else was there literally rubbing shoulders with the man and we were being held 10 yards away by Secret Service wondering if we would have gotten better access by just queuing up on the side of the street. I can't let this go by now that mentioned the time about the Pope on the plane. I mean, I never tell that story. You did. <laughs> <laughs> Listeners should know because Zara Sorry, very, King, very rarely I tells the Pope. this. I met the Pope on it. So again, this is one of these, what would we call it? We wouldn't call it a state visit when the Pope came, would you? Would be, it would be, yeah, 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 yeah. Papal visit. I mean, the papal visit. Oh, just really, there's nothing to say other than that. You know, I love casually saying to people sometimes, "Oh, I met the Pope mm-hmm. on, on a plane once." And they're like, "Really?" I'm like, "No, actually, yeah." Yeah, going on a football weekend. He was on the way to Stamford Bridge for the weekend. Yeah, Did you offer him a hurl? No, he, just, he doesn't stand- speak English, by the way. So I spoke to him. He pretended he understood. He gave it a bit of a nod. Look, he's from Buenos Aires. Buenos Aires used to have a big hurling culture. There's still a district in Buenos Aires <laughs> called Hurlingham from when hurling oh. was really big. Oh. It would have been really big. And then they had to... Uh, sorry, this is kind of total tangent. Know, right? yeah, yeah. Um, Here's me trying to wrap um, the show. Yeah, <laughs> well, uh, on this note, Gav doing Gav things. Um, there was a big... There's a district in Buenos Aires called Hurlingham, which is named after the sport and which was the, the um, site of the local hurling club. Yeah. And hurling was apparently like on the cusp of becoming a really, really prominent sport in Argentina until World War Two, and then suddenly you couldn't export the ash wood to be able to go over there to make. This hurls. feels peak out to me. And, and it was repurposed yeah. as a, a cricket club, and now and the the uh, hurling club of Buenos Aires to this day is still a cricket club, but its origins are from our own games way back when. Go. I love that. Amazing too. I'm going to save my Pope stories until a future podcast. Okay. A book eyes out. Always leave them wanting we'll more. There will be more. Her. There's some good ones in there. Uh, but do let us know as well if you've had any interesting Have you uh, met the Pope on a plane? Have with you the Pope? met the Pope? Could be other world leaders, anything like that. We do want to hear that. So you can get us on any of your chosen platforms mm-hmm. or if you have any questions for us uh, as we do this week to week. And thank you to those who sent in their, their responses actually today on Instagram. Yeah. We appreciate it. Really appreciate it. Thanks to the early adopters. Yeah. Thank you. We have a stack of questions as well for, for us as well which we'll get through over the time but so thanks everybody for sending in so, so we'll be back next Thursday with episode 2 of the group chat we'll see you then we'll see you all then thanks everyone